welcome to episode 68 of Real Life Ghost Stories. How you do? To kick things off this week, we need to thank our newest Patreon subscribers. We would like to thank Jessica Henschel Kim. Amy Shaw. Kabila Taya Garage. Rooftop Sweep. Lynn. Tate Sealeaf. Scott Rohr. Amy M. Georgie Allen Stevens. Lauren Matos. Sinead Riley. Cody Roy. Holly Walsh. Nick Gainsford. Samantha Ellefson. Melinda Cruz. Marlena. Adrian Allpress. Tori. Christina Sims. Thank you so much for being new patrons. Marlena or Marlena, I don't know which one it is, and I'd like to apologise if I've gotten it wrong. And also to Kabila. Oh, May, I am sorry. <laughs> I looked at that name and I went, oh, shit. I'm not going to be <laughs> able to pronounce this. I thought you had a fairly this. good stab at it, to be fair. I had, a, I had a, good, a good shot. I gave it mm. a good go, but how good it was, I don't actually know. It's very stormy today again, so if you hear any odd noises in the background, it's either the demon that's now moved in with us after or last Dennis. week's episode. <laughs> Or it's Storm Dennis. So, either way, threat to life all round. <laughs> Our film review this week. Yes. Our film review is Grave Encounters. Grave Encounters was released in 2011. It has 6.1 out of 10 on IMDb and 64% on Rotten Tomatoes. Would you like a synopsis? Give me that synopsis. For their ghost hunting reality show, a production crew locks themselves inside an abandoned mental hospital that's supposedly haunted. And it might prove to be all too true. What were your thoughts on this film? Our most requested film review. I thought it was pretty decent, to be fair. Um, I thought it was going to be like a spoof, like Final Tap style horror. Looking like taking the Michael out of Ghost Adventures, essentially. People are going to understand what you mean by taking the Michael out of. Making fun of, he means. Making fun of. Um... (laughs) Ghost Adventures, which he did a very good job of in the opening scene, because um, he they pretty much aped everything about Ghost Adventures from the titles to the outfit that the lead guy had to the just about everything <laughs> in Ghost Adventures. It was almost a direct attack on them, and then it turned into an actual horror film that scared the bejeebas out of me. I would go so far as to say an actual good horror film. Yeah, I was really curious about this because so many people message have messaged me over the last year and whatever year and a bit and saying. Please, please, please review Grave Encounters. And then I put it up on the Facebook group, as I always do. And so many people were like, this film was so shit, I hated it. Oh, really? Yeah. Ooh. And I loved this film. This I thought it was really good. This is the first horror film I've seen, that we've seen in weeks, that was actually decent. It gave me the heebie-jeebies. Yeah, but I, lots of things we've seen scared me, even the ones we didn't think were very good. Fair. <laughs> Fair. That, and therein lies the difference between me and you. <laughs> It is really tongue-in-cheek in in the beginning and it takes the piss out of all of those ghost hunting shows really well. No, I don't even think it does take the piss out of all of those ghost hunting shows. It's direct attack on ghost adventures, like, to the point... Actually, yeah, it definitely is a direct... Like, there's no no way it's not a direct piss take of ghost adventures. Like, it has to be. Everything about it. He even, at one point... You know, he's interviewing the caretaker and the caretaker's like, I've only worked here for two weeks. And he's like, I'll give you just $20 if you just say you've seen a ghost. Yeah. And the caretaker's like, I saw a ghost over there. It was scary. <laughs> Which was great. So in that regard, I thought it was really, genuinely, really clever. And yes. I enjoyed it. And it was just such a piss take in the beginning. And then it got, I, I found it genuinely scary. 
And it wasn't too bad for a found footage film because the handholds were, were quite steady because I guess, they, you know, they had the static cams and the um, shots that you would have in a, a ghost hunting show, I guess. So it was a bit more professional than a lot of handheld found footage stuff, which was good for me because I'm not a massive fan of the found footage genre. It was very low budget as well. Yeah. In that the, the horror elements were quite subtle. A lot of like banging doors and stuff. Yeah. And then the actual monsters or whatever or ghosts or demons that you do see you see them for for a split second yeah and, and they timed it the scariness timed it to perfection because of how long they held the shots when the faces changed to demonic faces so just long enough for you to get the idea of what it is and get a bit freaked out by it, but not too long to go hey you just put black makeup around their eyes which yeah. is essentially what they did which is what, what they did i mean it was i think the budget i read was like one hundred and twenty thousand dollars yeah, fair and job on it. Fair about job on it. Seven or eight million from nice. it, which is for a low budget horror film, they did it right. Yep, and I'm pretty sure they are the reason that Ghost Adventures stopped doing the X cam. <laughs> <laughs> so much of it, honestly. If you like us, love hate shows like Ghost Adventures, even just watch the first twenty minutes of this film. Yeah, actually, you could even if you don't particularly want to get go into the scary thing, and you just feel like in the mood for a bit of a spoof up. Yeah, just watch the first 20 minutes and it is just... Because it is classed as a comedy horror. Like, it is absolutely meant to be taking the piss. But it's not funny. and it, Like, it's only after funny in that year. first 20 minutes. And then when the hauntings start, it actually is quite serious. It really stops being funny yeah, after a while. It does. <laughs> so what would you give this film out of five? Uh, probably a four. It wasn't like... I don't think it's a must-see because it won't... Like, it won't float everybody's boat. But it was very good. I'm going to give it a four, too. Ooh. I thought it was... Like, it, it held it held my attention. Which is unusual. Yeah, that, I mean, that deserves a five on its own, really. <laughs> and I, I really enjoyed it. But yeah. I, the bit I didn't like about it was, so in the beginning, the, the handheld cameras like gave me a headache. It was so jerky in the beginning. And I know later on, as it went on, yeah. they used the, the static cams really effectively. I think that's because in the early the early part of the footage was actually one of the crew members just filming on a handycam, wasn't it? That was yeah. her point. Like She was just vlogging it but it, it it did annoy me that it, it generally doesn't annoy me actually handheld footage in films but this one in particular made me feel a bit sick when i was watching it so fair enough but four out of five nice so our stories this week stories stories we've got a couple of stories okay and they're quite unusual okay so we're not talking about dolls anymore we're not talking about dolls we will be coming back Phew. to dolls oh. i apologize in advance oh. but i said i'd give you a bit of a break this week okay so one of our listeners, Chrissy, sent yep. me a message about William Mackenzie King. Do you okay. know who that is? No idea. Well, neither did I. And okay. then she said, hey, I'd really love if you did an episode on William Mackenzie King. And I was like, I, I don't know anything about him. I don't know who he is. And she sent me an email with just loads of research about William Mackenzie King. So I said, you know what? This week's our week. We're going we're gonna to do this. This is going to be our episode. So we've got two different world leaders that we're going to be talking about today. One being William Mackenzie King. Okay. Are you ready? Yeah, go for it. Shoot. Before we start this story, I want to do a disclaimer. Yes. If we take the piss out of world leaders. Oh, I thought you were talking about Bim making noise. Oh, also Bim is making noise in the background because she's she's begging again to be fed. But if we take the piss out of world leaders, it doesn't mean we hate your country. I'm just going to put that out there because there have been times in the past where we've uh, maybe made fun of aspects of America a little bit and then 
got some very untoward messages about the fact that we hate America. Definitely we don't. don't hate America. We don't. We don't hate any other country. So. Oh, see. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just going to put that out there before we start. I actually know more words to the American national anthem than I do the British one. <laughs> I don't know any words to the British national anthem. Well, you wouldn't, would you? No, I know that it says God save the Queen. Yeah. I know that much. I know the first verse, and I don't know the second or the third or the fourth or the fifth or the sixth verse. I'll teach you the Irish national anthem. Okay. In Irish. Okay. The real one, not okay. the rugby one, because okay. that doesn't really count. Okay. Okay, so if, I'll stop <laughs> rambling now and get started. William Mackenzie King, mostly referred to as Mackenzie King, was born in Berlin, now Kitchener, Ontario, in 1874. His father was a lawyer, and his mother was the daughter of William Mackenzie, leader of the 1837 rebellion in Upper Canada, and former mayor of Toronto. It has been argued that his interest in politics may have stemmed from a desire to vindicate his grandfather. His association with his grandfather would continue to be an influence throughout his political life. King was very close to his mother. In his library at his residence in Ottawa, Laurier House, he kept a large portrait of his mother with a small lamp that he kept lit from when he awoke to when he went to bed. He also kept a vase on the table filled with fresh flowers and a small box containing her wedding ring and a lock of hair. This sounds awfully creepy, but it should probably be noted that the entire King family did have a reputation for being an exceptionally close and unusually happy family. King was Prime Minister of Canada from December 1921 to June 1926, from September 1926 to August 1930, and again from October 1935 to November 1948, a total of 22 years. His success as Prime Minister is difficult to quantify. He was severely lacking in charisma and social skills, yet he led Canada successfully through part of the Great Depression and all of World War II. He believed the greatest measure of a successful government was in the prevention of disaster. King's interest in the occult was not known publicly while he was in office. In fact, this only became known after his death, when his diaries were opened. As you can imagine, it was shocking for Manny to think that their Prime Minister claimed to have communicated with Leonardo da Vinci, Wilfred Laurier, his dead mother, his grandfather and several of his dead dogs, as well as the spirit of late President Roosevelt. What was that conversation like with your dead dog? (laughs) We shall discuss afterwards. Are you there, W? O O F. Is it Rover or Spot? W O O F. Not sure about that one. F E E D M E. King was a spiritualist, and historians believe his mother's death may have been the catalyst for his interest in the occult, but it could easily have been a result of losing many loved ones. Between 1901 and 1922, King would lose his best friend, drowned while trying to save a woman who had fallen into the Ottawa River, his older sister, his father, his mother, and his younger brother. His younger sister, the sole remaining member of his immediate family, moved to Barrie, Ontario, with her husband, leaving King roughly 500 miles from his closest relation. He began tentatively trying to make contact with spirits in 1925 initially consulting a fortune teller, who he became disillusioned with when she incorrectly predicted that he would win a 1930 election against R.B. Bennett. 
but his first seance was in 1932, when he was 58. At this seance, King believed he made contact through noted medium Mrs. Etta Wright with his parents, siblings, grandfather, former Prime Minister Sir Wilfrid Laurier, a friend colleague whose widow bequeathed their Ottawa home to King, and his best friend Bert Harper. Etta Wright was an American direct voice medium. In 1911, she received a golden watch bequeathed by Queen Victoria to the most deserving medium of the time. It was not really intended for her specifically. The Queen had intended the watch for her medium through whom she believed she could talk to her beloved Prince Albert. Wright got the watch after having shown to the satisfaction of British editor W.T. Stead that she had received a communication from the spirit of Queen Victoria in July 1911. Three days after his first seance, King invited Wright to Laurier House for another. Wright used a silver trumpet from which, at her seances, the voice of the departed would proceed. An old friend of Mr. King recalled she'd put the trumpet in the middle of the circle and it would roll around and stop in front of the person about to receive a message. I remember the thing rolling up to me and giving me quite a rap on the shin. The voice that came out did sound very like a person I knew who had died. However, I was a bit shaken when she got hold of somebody who was, I supposed, to be French. And that trumpet spoke very bad French. King would go on to have many seances with a variety of different mediums. Mrs. Helen Hughes, Hester Dowden and Miss Geraldine Cummins among them. There is some disagreement among scholars as to whether King actually took advice from the dead or not, at least politically. Some argue that he sought more personal reassurance, but he did inquire about whether his party would win in 1935. And thanks to his diaries, we do know that politics came up during his seances quite a few times. In his will, King named four literary executors. Among other things, he instructed them to destroy all of my diaries, except those parts which I've in- indicated are and shall be available for publication or use. A debate about what precisely this meant, given King had not indicated which parts to be kept, went on for four decades. And honestly, there's a lot to it that we just can't get into. It would be its own podcast. But the diaries were eventually made fully public and are accessible online though they do not include everything King ever wrote, as all of King's diaries were never fully transcribed. Given the diaries span decades, I can't blame the transcriber. Also, one of the volumes is missing, and King kept separate diaries detailing his spiritual experiences, but these were largely destroyed in 1977. Christopher Dummett, author of Unbuttoned, A History of Mackenzie King's Secret Life, said, We do know that his interest in the spirit world was long pervasive. It lasted for a long period of time. It was pretty all-encompassing. He believed he could communicate with the dead. I think the closest thing we've come to say that influences politics is King's attitude towards Germany. It was pretty fascinating. And his appeasement, his support of appeasement in the 1930s. Laurier House was originally built by a jeweller for him and his wife in 1878. After both passed, the house was bought in 1897 by Prime Minister Wilfred Laurier and his wife Zoe. Zoe bequeathed it to the King upon her death in 1921 and he lived there from 1923 until his death in 1950, 
when he bequeathed it and all his personal papers to the Canadian Crown. Many distinguished guests of Canada were received at this house, such as King George, Sir Winston Churchill, Charles de Gaulle, Franklin D. Roosevelt and others. The house as it stands today is largely representative of King's own taste. It was in a bad state of repair when he came into its ownership and a major renovation of the house was completed. Donors generously gave funds to renovate the house, but more than that, they overwhelmed King with gifts of antique furniture, paintings, china, cutlery, everything needed to lead a comfortable life. And they created a trust fund, the interest from which was sufficient to maintain Laurier House without King's having to spend his own money. Prior to this, King lived in an Ottawa apartment building with little furniture of middling quality. King adored the house and held many seances there. The house is reportedly haunted, with stories of footsteps being heard on the stairs, notes on pianos being struck, the lights at the shrine to King's mother turning on by itself, and more. Some even speculate ghosts, such as Winston Churchill, who visited the house during World War II, may still frequent the place, as well as the spirits of King's favourite mediums. So, do you reckon ghosts can go on holiday then? I think we've had this conversation before. Oh, that they travel on ghost ships. Oh yeah, we did, didn't we? Yeah. I feel like we did. Yeah. How mad is it, right? Because our, our our knowledge of world leaders, we imagine these people as being sort of straight lace, generally men, yeah. who are logical. And in in my imagination, I I always imagine them to be like logical and scientific. And then you find out that this man is just having seances all the time, contacting his dead dogs, fucking getting political advice from dead people and a giant trumpet with a bad French accent. It's just mad. I wonder how prevalent it actually was in that period anyway for leaders to do things because it mentioned about Victoria wanting to contact and that was driven by a severe emotional loss, wasn't it, uh, of her husband and just having to live for ages without him. Abraham Lincoln's wife had seances in the White House, I think, to try and contact their we'll get to that. dead son. But we'll get to that. Okay. Um, so I wonder whether it was more prevalent than we realised, particularly in that period, because it was more, it was quite a common culture, wasn't it? Like, this is pre-Netflix. <laughs> and of course, pre-Netflix, all there was to do was contact the dead. Exactly. <laughs> Interestingly, he referred to Hitler as a fellow, a great fellow mystic. Yeah, well, they were into, is, big into the cult of the Nazis, weren't they? Which is fascinating. And I was going to, I was, I was going to do some research about Hitler and the Nazis and the occult, and then I was like, no, fuck those guys. No. I'm not doing that. I just feel like um, I don't know. It doesn't sound as it didn't sound as sinister as it did when you started because you were like, oh, William Mackenzie King was into the occult, which is always you get like satanic stuff. But actually, he's just trying to contact his dead mates, really, wasn't he? And I don't know what I don't know the value in asking people that are dead, so i.e., people from the past, what's going to happen in the future. Yeah, me neither, and I don't know the value in asking dead people about political issues either. If somebody came to me right now and they said hey, we desperately need a policy on this thing. Can you help us? I'd be like, fuck no. So maybe, if I was dead, I'd be doubly like, fuck no. I don't know. Like sometimes, it, I mean, it depends what how detailed the conversations were. But I guess if you'd like political leaders, leaders and it, you're talking about issues that are perennial rather than like modern stuff, then maybe it's just thinking about, right, you know, Napoleon was a good, I'm using him for an example. This isn't what I think, but Napoleon was a good leader. Call him up on the ghost phone, see what he thinks about this direction I'm thinking about taking. Do you know what I mean? Like, I can understand that logic, 
but I can't understand asking people that have been dead what the forthcoming election result is going to be. I don't understand how that works. Can you? Do you think ancient Roman soldier? Please tell me who's going to win the twenty twenty presidential election. Do sure. you think there's going to there there was like a uh, a ghost hotline? Yeah. <laughs> Call eighteen hundred ghost. It'll be one of those like WWF old ones from the eighties where it's like takes you three. It takes them like three minutes at like two dollars a minute to yeah. to tell you like that you have go- called ghost line. All our ghosts are busy. <laughs> <laughs> you are four thousand in the queue. <laughs> I mean, I am actually quite. I'm quite keen to know like. Like if you are listening to this and you are a medium or a seance leader, if that's the term, a seancer, seance, <laughs> um, and there's like some kind of logic that I'm missing about contacting the dead for things that are going to happen in the future, please let us know because I am quite keen to understand why that's a thing. Because I've heard other people doing this before, but I just it doesn't, in my tiny human brain, it doesn't make sense asking people about the past, about the future. I guess the thing is, and I can tell you this from my extensive knowledge. I've never, ever been a part of a seance. But my extensive knowledge of seances, I'm fairly sure that the idea is, and I know there's mediums who listen to this, so correct as if we're wrong. But I think the idea is that when you die, you sort of become all-knowing. Well, if that's the case, wouldn't you be like getting in touch with your relatives, being like 4.30 at Chepstow, put all your money on... This horse. This horse. <laughs> I did ask um, a psychic medium that, like, why, what, you know, if you can predict the future or if you can see into the future, if you have the gift of foresight, why don't you just win the lotto? And I know that's an age-old question, but it's a pertinent question. It's an important question. Why do you not just win the lotto? And if it's because, like, oh, because, you know, you're not supposed to gain from your power, then why do some people charge lots of money to go and see a seancer? Seancer. Do you think that there's lots of world leaders today who are secretly doing all sorts of mad shit 100% I mean I, I don't mean of course they're doing secretly mad shit but I mean in terms of the supernatural yeah no yeah but I think it might be um you know in the context of this day and age more explainable because we know for a fact that loads of world leaders are guided by religious figures I don't see that being a lot different than being guided by a seance it's just a different form that's really interesting you don't think yeah, that's really fascinating. That's like, like that's, that's genuinely to, good logic. I have to hold my hands up though and say that I wasn't actually thinking of a world leader. I was thinking about Glenn Hoddle in the 1998 World Cup using his little, <laughs> using his little mystic guy, uh, woman, lady, whatever her name was. I can't remember what her name was. I want to call her Dot, but I don't think it was. But she, Eileen. It was some maybe Eileen. What she was like a little fortune teller. Yeah, he went. He had like a, there was a whole big scandal around the World Cup because he went and he's quite a religious man as as far as I know. But he's got a bit more. It's a bit more spiritualistic religion than maybe mainstream. Yeah, and he had like a psychic advisor during the World Cup, and obviously that didn't go too well. <laughs> I'm fairly sure as well that during World War Two, there was a oh this paranormal life did an episode about this, but there was a woman in Scotland who was arrested and charged with witchcraft during World War Two. Like she, she, she saw a ship sinking and told somebody that their like husband or son or whoever it was had died. The government got word of this and they were like, is she a fucking spy? Like, how did she know this happened? So they thought she was a spy. They brought her in. They realized she wasn't a spy. So they charged her with witchcraft. That's mental. Isn't that mad? Yeah. I mean, it's crazy that she got charged for it. I reckon though, if you, if you, I reckon the, the big predictors are looked into. 
Do you think? Yeah, I think I think Derek I think the Derek Akora was looked into for a bit and then it was soon realised that Do he was. Do you think just... he was knocked off by the government? That's what that's how he died. Is he dead then? Yeah, he died only recently. Oh, did I he? told you that. No, no, I don't think he did was at all because he was in he was in the shambles at that point anyway, but yeah, I feel like I feel like they I think there's probably departments of governments that look into th- all these kind of things. And probably nine times out of ten they're like, Okay, well, it's nothing to worry about. But I'd imagine if you went for a string of predicting really big things and it couldn't be disproved, that I think the government would be on you. I'm fairly sure there was a guy that was arrested in America many moons ago because he arrived on the scene and was able to predict the stock market and made loads of money in a really short period of time. Yeah, and nobody could guy. understand mm. how he did it. Which is fascinating. Speaking of world leaders, mm. what do you know about Abe Lincoln? I just told you. <laughs> in terms of the paranormal? Yeah, everything I said previously, really. that it, I don't think it was him. I think it was more driven by his wife, actually. You'd be surprised. Mm. He was very tall. He was six foot four. Mm. He was the tallest... American president, yep, and one of only four American presidents that have had beards, or I think there was him and four others. Okay, interesting. His mother also died of milk disease. Milk disease was the disease that came from drinking milk from cows who ate a certain plant that was essentially poisonous. Wow! I learned loads about Abraham Lincoln in my research for this episode. Amazing. So I'm going to leave the research links in the description. Most of it comes from history.com. Oh, it didn't and... come from that girl. No, this is completely new. Oh, okay. And so Lisa, she gave you all the William McKenzie stuff, did yes. she? Okay, nice. And LisaWallerRogers.com. Are you ready? Um, yes. There's some really good books on Abraham Lincoln as well, if you want to. Yeah, there are. And really good books about his paranormal life. But I didn't have time to read a full book this week, so <laughs> <not>? I apologise. <laughs> Ward Hill Lamon, Abraham Lincoln's former law partner, friend, and sometime bodyguard, told a famous story about the 16th US president's premonition of his own death. According to the tale, just a few days before his assassination on April the 14th, 1865, Lincoln shared a recent dream with a small group that included his wife, Mary Todd, and Lamon. In it, he walked into the East Room of the White House to find a covered corpse guarded by soldiers and surrounded by a crowd of mourners. When Lincoln asked one of the soldiers who had died, the soldier replied, The President. He was killed by an assassin. Interestingly, Lincoln supposedly later insisted to Lamon that the body on display was not his own, so he himself did not view the dream as a portent of his own demise. Some historians have cast doubt on Lamon's account, which was first published in the 1880s, nearly 20 years after the assassination. Though Lamon claimed to have reconstructed the incident based on notes he made in 1865, it does seem odd that neither he nor Mary Lincoln mentioned the dream right after the president's murder. Even if Lamon's story isn't true, Abraham Lincoln was apparently quite interested in the meaning of dreams and what they have to say about future events, both positive and negative. Proof of his curiosity lies in an 1863 letter to his wife, who at the time was in Philadelphia with their 10-year-old son, Tad. Lincoln writes that Mary had better put Tad's pistol away as he had an ugly dream about him. Moreover, members of Lincoln's cabinet recalled that on the morning of his assassination, the president told them he dreamed of sailing across an unknown body of water at great speed. He also apparently revealed that he'd had the same dream repeatedly on previous occasions, before nearly every great and important event of the war. This story again points to Lincoln's interest in the predictive power of dreams, 
but it doesn't offer hard evidence that he foresaw his own death. Lincoln was deeply interested in psychic phenomena. Following the death of his 11-year-old son Willie of typhoid fever, Lincoln was consumed with grief. He was persuaded by his wife Mary to participate in several seances held in the White House. Mary believed that professional mediums could pierce the veil between this life and the next, thus allowing her and her husband to communicate with their dead son. Once Lincoln attended a seance in which a piano lifted up and moved around the room. It was in the opinion of mediums who worked with President Lincoln that he was definitely the possessor of extraordinary psychic powers. Seances became popular during and after the Civil War as Americans longed to reconnect with their many loved ones killed in the violence of the Civil War. The day after his first election to the presidency in 1860, Lincoln called his good friend, journalist Noah Brooks, into his office. He had been startled by a vision of seeing two of his faces at once in a mirror and wanted to tell Brooks about it. Brooks made a written record of the conversation, later including it in his White House memoirs. Washington and Lincoln's time. Adapted from Brooks's work, these are Lincoln's words. It was just after my election in 1860, when the news had been coming in thick and fast all day, and there had been a great hurrah boys, so I was well tired out, and went home to rest, throwing myself down on a lounge in my chamber. Opposite where I lay was a mirror, and looking in that glass, I saw myself reflected nearly at full length. But my face, I noticed, had two separate and distinct images, the tip of the nose of one being about three inches from the tip of the other. I was little bothered, perhaps startled, and got up and looked in the glass, but the illusion vanished. On lying down again, I saw it a second time, plainer if possible than before, and then I noticed that one of the faces was paler, maybe five shades paler than the other. I got up and the thing melted away, and I went off, and in the excitement of the hour forgot all about it. Nearly, but not quite. For the thing would once in a while come up, and give a little pang as if something uncomfortable had happened. When I went home again that night I told my wife about it, and a few days afterward I made the experiment again, when, with a laugh, sure enough, the thing came back. But I never succeeded in bringing the ghost back after that, though I once tried very industriously to show it to my wife, who was somewhat worried about it. She thought it was a sign that I was to be elected for a second term of office, and that the paleness of one of the faces was an omen that I should not see life through the last term. I think um, it's another time period, isn't it, where there's mass loss of young men, which obviously society's changed now where the young men aren't young men. When men aren't the main providers, actually, and, and but back in those days, you you lost a dad, you lost a son, you lost a husband. It's massive impact, and obviously, loss is is big anyway. And I think when it's on that mass scale, the nation turns to the spiritual side of things in different ways. Well, that was that <clears> was where you know the the popularity of the Ouija board yeah. came about was because of the huge loss of life in war, and yeah. people didn't know how to handle it and you see i think you can track almost the sort of uh rise and fall of seance and spiritualism uh spiritualist spiritualism is that what i read i don't know around the three sort of big wars really around the civil the, the american civil war because the loss of life was that astronomical uh world war one and, and world war two to an extent but then obviously as you get into the modern area technology starts to play a role and 
debunk things and you don't see it the same way in the 70s i don't think after like post vietnam and stuff like that but it's interesting really interesting and i knew about mary todd because she was massive she was massively into, into spiritualism and that but again it's driven by grief and i understand i do understand it which is why i think it's so horrible when you see and not not, not saying that everybody does but when you see mediums take advantage of that like you always mm. complain about I think it's that's what makes it so horrible because I think a lot of that belief is generally driven by loss at some on some level. And even if it's not driven by loss, it's driven by a sense of loss, mm. whether that's actual death and grief or whether it's being lost in your own life and people not knowing really what to do or where to turn to and they go and see these mediums. Can I get really deep and and on the tangent a little bit brace yourselves ladies and gentlemen it's gonna happen so i think there is a social theory that in the last two decades that you can pinpoint a rise in interest around the paranormal and the supernatural that coincides with that general sense of loss of identity within the overexposure of technology and not having relationships in the traditional sense and that is linked that didn't make any sense at all no it did make sense i'm i'm, I'm staring at you because i'm listening not and because i think i'm waiting for you to finish that in the past when there's been a massive shift in 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 culture or in society it's led people away from spirituality and the paranormal into other things whereas now i feel like it's almost leading it back because people are looking for something else does that make sense yeah that does make sense i don't want to go too much into it because it's, it's it's not really a thing right now but it is interesting to track how many people are interested in this kind of thing now, where in the past it would have been hocus pocus because of religion. And it seems that religion has switched with the supernatural and paranormal these days. Or there's a, a, a sidelining of religion in, in some incidences and in, in where religion would have been the main staple of mainstream society for a lot of people. Actually, it's been sidelined a bit. Yep. So as humans, we're looking to fill the void with something. That's an interesting theory. And it's interesting as well. It's not my theory. I think it's just evident. But yeah. But it's interesting that Mackenzie King had a huge period of loss in his life. Never, you know, aside from World War II. Mm. Like he had a huge period of loss where he lost everybody essentially that was closest to him. And Abraham Lincoln experienced probably the worst. I mean, you can't categorize mm. grief, but losing a child, you know, is it must have been horrific. So they both had experienced great loss in their private lives. Were trying to find a way around that and find a way to communicate with those that they lost in what they would, I would imagine, they would have thought was on an untimely fashion. Yeah. The other thing about the Abraham on a slightly less deep level uh, is his whole premonitions, dreams, and stuff like that. Because I've always thought that humanity. Put, has put value in dreams i feel like this podcast is really serious and i need to be funny no you don't need to be funny you don't <laughs> uh, need to do anything but i feel like uh humanity's always put value in dreams from like first peoples onwards really we desperately try and make sense of them and mm. the only way you can make sense of something is to put value into it and there's a certain element of confirmation bias as well because obviously if something happens you can it's quite easy to, to remember you dreaming about it i'm not expecting to be chased by velociraptors down a water slide like I've dreamt about before in the past. <laughs> That's really specific. <laughs> but yeah, it is. I there's, I think there's some value in it. You know, I think there is. I think sometimes we. I think a lot of our dreams are explainable and brain worthy, like concocted by our brains. Yeah. But I do think there's also value in like some of the stuff we dream, and we've seen that from listeners' stories and and other things, haven't we? That where occasionally dreams are different and they're different for a reason. 
and they're noticeably different and you register that they're different yeah. which is the interesting bit yeah. about it yeah it's location is in my dreams is the thing that interests me because i often go back to the same location even though it's not anywhere i've been a couple of weeks ago we talked about how nobody ever dreams about being in their bedroom mm. yeah we i mean we had so many messages from people saying i dream about being in my bedroom all the time so it does happen okay cool cool cool, cool. i've never had one but that's cool that's good to know i like i like being corrected like that yes because I, like I'm just I'm just going from what I've experienced, and we are on all these things, so it's cool. I've got to shut up because I'm being way too serious. Would you like some new reviews? Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay to be serious sometimes, you know. Yeah, like, I know. We we talk about death and the paranormal and people desperately trying to contact people that they've lost. Is it really appropriate to make loads? I just of jokes didn't feel very it? scared by your stories, which is nice. It's a nice feeling yeah, for me. So it's think... just made me think about it a little bit more than normal. I didn't think you would, but your theory about <laughs> loss of cultural identity because we live so much of our lives through technology is really fascinating. Let's do the reviews. Our first review comes from Crazy Mama eighty six, who Man. said, "Amazing! I love this podcast so much. I've been binging for the last couple of days, and I don't think I've gotten much else done. The stories are so interesting, and the movie reviews are hilarious. Thank you so much." Do you know what I've been super? Um, amazed by recently is that with our little spike from buzzfeed and we've had loads of new listeners how many people have binged our entire catalog in a really short space of time because we've now got quite a lot of episodes and that is some skill so i'm all for that hashtag binge life and the second review is entitled excellent from malwin like many i found this podcast by accident was looking for the amateurville horror it quickly became my go-to pod as i'm in the car a lot Excellent light-hearted chat talking about a subject that's always intrigued me without going silly like a lot of them do. The film's reviews are great too. Just watch ghost stories off the back of you talking about it. Loved it. Keep up the rather excellent work. Oh, and don't spit up because you might stop doing this. <laughs> it's the only thing keeping us together at this stage. I mean, we don't even live in the same house anymore. No, we hate each other. Yeah. We stop, We press stop and I just storm out of the house. With the laptop. With the laptop and the equipment. <laughs> And our final one comes from Ollie J. Grun. I have questions. Are Emma and Dan a couple? (laughs) I want to be their mates. This is a great podcast. Great mix of spooky vibes and humour. I like the length of the podcast. It's just right. I feel like I want the cat to chat more on the episodes. I've gotten up to Dear David episode 9 and I can't stop listening. Um, She's around somewhere, but she doesn't really talk in the podcast. I mean, the later we record and we don't feed her, you might hear more of her. I'm pretty sure we've said this everywhere except actually on the podcast but yes we are a couple we're actually married we're actually married (laughs) (laughs) we had a secret wedding in october we ran away and got married just the two of us and our two random witnesses whose names dave and emma dave and emma if you're listening hi dave and emma thanks for being our witnesses (laughs) they're probably not i don't know their surnames but um yeah so we secretly got married for all people who ask if we're a couple I'm yeah, sure. I'm sure we have mentioned it. I think we have mentioned it on the main one. Maybe we surprise, haven't. surprise. <laughs> I can't remember. I I realised that yesterday that we've done so many episodes that I look at the titles of some of them and I'm like, what the fuck is that about? <laughs> Just have no idea. Can't remember. If you enjoyed what you heard this week, a much more serious episode than usual. Yeah, we've done a few like that before. I feel like we, we did yeah. one about angels at one point, then we have something. You can find me on Instagram. I'm on Instagram at Real Life Ghost Stories. Dan is on Instagram at 50p Movie Club. You can find us on Twitter at Real Ghost Pod. You can send us in your stories to Real Life Ghost Stories Podcast at gmail.com. And on that note, if you uh, message me on Instagram asking me what that email address is, I will have to go back and ask Emma because I can never remember it. It is Real Life Ghost Stories Podcast at gmail.com. 
If you want to find us on Facebook, you can find us at Real Life Ghost Stories Podcast. Give our page a like, leave a little review if you feel so inclined and join our super secret Facebook group, which is RLGS Supergroup, where the answer to the question is Emma and Dan. If you would like to support us financially, which I'm going to say, I'm going to be pushing the Patreon a lot more in the coming months because my work situation has changed. So if you want to donate money to our podcast, we would absolutely love you to do that. It is patreon.com forward slash real life ghost stories. And if you donate $5 a month, you get access to an extra spooky episode per week. We've got a very special guest coming on to this week's Patreon episode, which I'm really excited about. And Ooh. if you donate $2 a month, what do you get access to? Uh, the new, uh, the bursure. Episodes of 50p Movie Club, which is a podcast that I used to run with my friend Will and I now run with my friend Dave Keane. And we get a movie from CEX in the 50p section and we review it and they're normally quite bad. And I believe a new episode came out last week. Yes, it did. It came out on Valentine's Day. And on that note, we shall see you next week. Bye.